Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up uh, in the moving industry. Uh, I got to work on a moving truck growing up, which is what you do when dad owns the moving business. Yep. I don't recommend it. Don't go work on a moving truck. But I gained kind of a really great appreciation of, of that side of the industry that, that um, you know, part of life early on. I went to college. I graduated with a degree in marketing, which has always been my passion. And I ended up getting a job for an event marketing company. Mercedes-Benz was our big client. We did all their sports marketing. So the Masters, oh. US Open, great gig out of college. Uh, but eventually I just found that I was setting up golf tournaments for rich people, which was not really how I wanted to lead my life. I, I felt like purpose was missing. And, you know, in terms of Move for Hunger, like it, we never really meant to start a nonprofit. I didn't know anything about hunger. I didn't know anything about food waste. If you would have asked me 11 years ago, if I'd start my own organization, I would have told you you were out of your mind. But here it was, people every day, you know, when they're moving, they're, they don't know what to do with the food. It was a common question that came up, like, what should I do with this? Or they were throwing it away or they were leaving it. So we, we really just started by asking people if they wanted to donate it. We were there anyway and wow. um, brought it to the food bank at that time before Hunger was born. Yeah, wow. Wow. Oh, that, that, and that's a tremendous sort of service that you're doing, and it's just a great idea. And, yeah, sometimes these ideas are just sitting in front of us. We just don't – we're not expecting to do it, and, and then it sort of pops out. But hey, going back to you, when you are saying about being on the moving track with your dad and helping out there as a kid and so forth, is, was, was there one or two things that you learnt um, in relation to about, you know, working with your dad and, and what it's like to be, you know, uh, as a kid working with your parents and things like that? Did you learn anything around that? Yeah. So, so one, my, my dad who worked with his, uh, his twin brother and my other uncle. So kind of got, I got a lot of family early on um, and they were, they were incredibly entrepreneurial. You know, the moving business was core, but they built other businesses around it, warehousing. Um, they, they built some self storage. They, they really tried to do new things um, and learning and seeing them try ideas, succeed in some and fail in others. Um, but still find ways to have success. I think that was really important. And then physically being on the truck um, and doing some of the, the grunt work, as you'll call it, A, I think it was super humbling because even though, you know, my dad was the boss of the company, like I was no better than anybody else that was out there. And I think that's a really important to, to mm. be able to, as you're growing a business, be able to do it all um, and, and know that like every single role within within a company as trivial as trivial as you may think it is in the moment, until you do it, 
that's really where you get to understand where the opportunities for, you know, doing better really live. Yeah, yeah, great. Because the reason I asked you that question is that very similar to my background as well. We grew up in the coffee industry and uh, at the age of seven, here I was at the shop working with my parents as well. And um, so I think for, for myself and um, I learned a lot working in that environment around the family, but also, as you said, you know, there was the boss and there was my role and I had to do things. And it wasn't anything special in the sense of I didn't get any special treatment because right. I was the son, right, as you're saying. But then the other thing too is I think the biggest learning for me was uh, seeing the struggle that they went through and having their business and, you know, every day it wasn't rosy. You had to sort of hustle and so forth. But then the other one was the work ethic. And I think that was really quite strong for for us as being taught about work ethic and then getting on with things too. So, yeah, I mean, fan, fabulous uh, sort of uh, experiences, um, which, which has been really good. So question for me is, how did you get into leadership? You know, what was sort of your background then? Yeah, I think I think it kind of happened accidentally, to be quite honest. You know, certainly I was I was involved in, in college um, and took some leadership roles in student government mm-hmm. where, where I could, which was always fun. When I went to the first marketing agency, I certainly was not in a leadership role in, in any way, shape or form. But, you know, try try to stand out to impress your boss. But as I went into and launched Move for Hunger, uh, you almost become this immediate leader slash entrepreneur, although you don't necessarily know entirely what you're doing, right? You're looking to other leaders, other mentors, trying to figure out what is the template process, best practice that I can integrate to go faster, better now. So I was, I was very fortunate to have some early mentors through the Do Something organization, uh, when I was just getting started through my family to be able to believe in me and, and you know, and, and help build up that confidence. Because I, I remember when I quit my job, um, all of my friends thought I was out of my mind. But I, I feel like I, I had gained enough self-confidence at that point to understand that if I fail, I can always find another job and I can always do something else. But I also don't want to fail. So I'm going to I'm really going to give this my all to figure out the best way to, to make this succeed. But I think I've certainly learned a lot along the way and, and made plenty of mistakes as well. Yeah, sure. So I think here, listeners, the, the key here that Adam's sharing is the fact that we should surround ourselves with some right the right people, some mentors, identify them, get them around you to help you with your confidence, to help you see things differently possibly, and then take some of those bold moves that you might want to do, like he did with uh, about leaving his job and to go off to do some other things. And it was risky. But he did. He knew that it was more of like calculated risk because he knew he could go out and get another job. So it was really quite interesting to see and, that. Happen. And, and as I've grown in my career, I felt like you know people actually want to talk to you if you know mm. you don't have this crazy, crazy agenda. Like people are actually pretty open to having conversations. And on very many occasions, I've reached out to CEOs or CMOs of really big organizations, and they've given me 30, 60 minutes of their time just through a LinkedIn message, you know, they, and, and I've been very grateful for those and some have developed into some really nice friendships. Yeah, that's brilliant. And, and what I see, Adam, too, and I don't want to presume that's what you're just getting at here as well, is that the higher they are in the organization, they are humble and they are willing to actually give that time to you uh, to, to invest in people. So I think it's a fantastic thing for sure. Hey, um, here's a, le- a really interesting question for you. So, um, who is your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or can be from history. So who's your favorite leader and why? Uh, that, that is a challenging one, I, I will say. But I, I'd say 
I'd say one of my favorites is probably uh, Sir Richard Branson. And I think the reason why is, A, I'm always inspired by the marketer in him, seeing his story as like a dyslexic young boy and how he was able to start up all of these different businesses, many of which failed, but many have have found success, while also maintaining uh, his his stance in terms of trying to create a better world and and include some you know social uh, really really just that social responsibility into a lot of the the core of what he's doing. So that mix has been very inspiring for me. And even as old as this guy is now, he's still going out and innovating and trying to build rocket ships. So it's it's really been. Um, amazing to see. Yeah, he's a great, great guy and great to see him out there on the front of the curve trying to do things and innovate and, and keep going, which is brilliant. Yeah, brilliant to see. Oh, thanks. Thanks for sharing. That's a good one. Richard, Sir Richard Branson, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jody to the show. Hey, Jody, welcome. Dennis, it's so great to be here and hello to your audience as well. Awesome. Hey, great having you here. Whereabouts are you based in the world? I am in Southern Maine. So for those who are not US-based or you know, get a little confused with U.S. geography. People know where Boston is. We are about an sure. hour and a half north of Boston. So that's where you'll find me. Yeah, you've got a good baseball team there, right? <laughs> We've got a lot of good sports teams in New England, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so I've given a brief um, sort of brief background or introduction for you about you. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Sure. My degree is in psychology, but the first 10 years of my career, I was in mutual fund operations. I came in at the entry level because I was actually at a place where I was, I had not intended to find myself in the business realm, but I was there and I was only doing that job to kind of figure out what I was going to do next, you know, so it was to pay the bills, but I would, it turned out to be an environment that I thrived in. I was promoted five times in the first five years. And some of those promotions were natural next steps and some I was not prepared for. And it was a baptism by fire. (laughs) But those experiences, you know, whether it was natural or whether it was like all of a sudden and, you know, I'm in the midst. It felt like in the midst of chaos, um, they were experiences that gave me a wealth of information on developing as a leader. And in September of 2010, so 10 years ago, I began the next 10 years of my career when I transitioned to business ownership and executive leadership coaching. Wow. And how did you go from mutual fund side of things, psychology into into that business side? I mean, how did you do it? And and why did you do it was one thing. And number two would be uh, that transition. What was that transition like for you? It was um, a twisty, windy road. But Uh when I look at it in retrospect, I really came full circle because when I was, I had my bachelor's degree in psychology and I was actually like this close to getting my master's degree in counseling psychology. And I, it finally sunk in, even though it had been told to me that if you stop at your master's level in counseling psychology, you're really going to be doing social work. So if this is your intention, you might as well just switch and get your master's in social work. And after having done my internship in a social work related job, I realized like this was not 
what I loved about psychology. I really loved like human potential, like what we were capable of. If we knew ourselves better, how could we develop ourselves to perform at higher levels? And, and social work, Oh, goodness. So needed, so necessary. And the people who work in social work are angels and saviors. But I knew I was not designed that way, that that wasn't my passion. And so I did take an entry level position in mutual fund operations. So it was really like, okay, well, I'll do this to earn money because student loans are going to come due and I don't know what I'm going to do next. Mm. And like I said earlier, it was perfect for me. And I was in that industry for 10 years, but it was around 2008 when the banking crisis came about right. and our the company I was working for was acquired by a large company in the US and the the shock of the culture change was almost too much it was Amazing. So- stressful. It was so crazy to go from a small to mid-sized level company to just a I don't a juggernaut company. It was it was just huge. And so I got through the first acquisition. I was employed now by the larger company and within 15 months like we were just getting to the point where we felt like we were recovering from all the changes that had come about. The company I was working for bought a company that was doing the same work that we were doing. And so we knew our jobs were on the line. But by that point, I had already discovered coaching. And coaching to me was everything that I had loved about psychology that social work was not, right? It was that human potential, development, high performance, and and transformation really was the added layer of, of coaching for me over psychology. And I got really jazzed by the idea. So I was working in my full-time job. I was at the executive level at that point, doing what I needed to do to get through the day and support the people around me and just started researching more about coaching and, and companies that were providing certifications on coaching. So when the company I was working for had bought the other company and we knew our jobs were on the line, I was like, this might be my chance. And I started to pray that they would outsource our jobs. I felt horrible for the people I worked with who had mortgages and kids getting ready to go to college. It's not to say I did it without feeling, but my own situation, I was I was like, yes, this is the opportunity. It's the push out of the nest that I need to do this. And I was actually able to get my coaching certification while I was still working. We were told our jobs were going to be outsourced, but they needed us to stay for seven months, which gave me plenty of runway to get certified and start my business. And that was in September of 2010. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. And it sounds like that, you know, you you took that opportunity, right? I mean, it was there in front of you, which is great. I want to go back to something you'd said before, which is about in in the roles that you did and you got to an executive level. How how did you get into leadership? (laughs) That's a great question, because though I was involved in student government in college, I went to a really small college and participation was required to keep the engine running, so to speak. So, you know, your friends who were doing different things are like, oh, come along, just do it. You know, you can do it. So what I really liked about that college was because it was so small, I was able to participate in some things where if I probably had gone to a large university, I wouldn't have. And then when I was working on my master's, 
master's, I was an assistant manager in a retail store, but yeah. I didn't see myself as a leader. I saw myself as a smart, competent, and capable of organizing and giving instructions to a team, but it was never translated to me as you are a leader. It's, mm. It was more like, oh, well, you can do this. Why don't you do this? Because you can do this. But because of those qualities, I was selected for a promotion time and again. And since then, I've often found myself in groups that when there was a vacancy, you know, they look to me to take on that leadership role. So there, there's been this trend there all my life. And I love your question because I don't think I got into leadership. Uh -huh. I am a leader. Nice. Right? And and it's only the only thing that held me back in my younger years from expressing it fully was I didn't realize I was a leader. I didn't believe in myself as a leader, but it's always been there. Okay. Good. That's good. That's good to know because uh, I think there's a lot of people out there who fall into it um, by mistake or it's just that, you know, or they somebody goes, oh, we need somebody. And they look around, they go, oh, you'll do. Congratulations. <laughs> and then they go, see you in 12 months time. And for a lot of people, they sink or swim, right, as we say. Right. But, you, but you're right. I mean, it's not about getting into leadership. It's, it's becoming that leader. It is, you are the leader. Uh, really good to see as well. And really hey, owning I, it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Owning it is really, really important. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 